0: You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska, that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. But friendships, relationships inside the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's the discussion for today. So let's start off at square one. Now, you guys read your handouts. I saw them 80 pages, over 80 pages, pure black and white. How awesome. So, so I read through it and it was talking about gospel relationships. So, so as we get out the gate, I want to talk about being, being made in the image of God. Um, So, so here's what I'm going to do right away, right out the gate is I want you in your groups that you're sitting in right now, I want you to take a few minutes and discuss two questions. Okay, so it's based on Genesis 127, we all got one of these, right, at our table, get that baby open, don't get any um, spaghetti or, or lasagna sauce on it, but get that out, read Genesis 127, and I want you to answer two questions. What does it mean for you as an individual to be made in the image of God? And how does being made in the image of God impact your daily life? So that's your first, uh, hey, this is what we're doing. So go ahead and get after it. All right, so what are you coming up with? I would say, for one, that being made in the image of God as an individual means that at some deeper level I possess characteristics that even just dimly reflect the characteristics of God Okay. even if corrupted and broken. Yeah, good, good, good. I like that. Good, good. So there's got to be implications to that, right? Like possessing attributes. um, There's got to be characteristics and implications to that. So that second question is really the implications of being made in the image of God. How does it impact your, not like, hey, give me a Sunday school answer about Jesus loves me because the Bible told me so. But the honest to God truth, like how it impacts you as a believer on a daily basis, what is that change in your life? What impact does that make in your life? I think negatively can, self, it can uh, make me think of myself as better than others. Okay, could, yeah. Yeah. Like- yeah, yeah, yeah see their actions and be like, well, at least I don't act like that because I'm made in the image of God. <laughs> <laughs> but then positively, it forces me to take a step back and say, I'm
1: not the only
0: one. Okay, so okay, far. good, good. So, so then reflecting on humanity as a whole, okay? Okay, now we're kind of getting into the intent of God with this, just is kind of where I want to go. So Sweet. we're in the right direction, Yeah. I don't have any gold stars, but I got plenty of stickers at home because I got three yes! kids. Stickers! Um, I wish I would have brought them. Um, so, so, what I'm going to be talking about is, is uh, this. I'm talking about this. So, let's, let's read in the beginning stuff. So this is what it says in uh, Genesis 1, through 31. Then God said, let, make, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creepy thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is in the face of all the earth, every tree with the seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to every that cr- everything that creeps on the earth everything that has the breath of life i have given every green plant for food and it was so and god said everything that he had made and behold it was very good and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day so so god god then in this creation story he creates humanity last Okay, And if you look through the first chapter of Genesis, you'll see that there's more information given to day six than any of the other days. God made the world in the first five days and his intent and emphasis, his best work was on day six. We are made in the image of God. But don't miss the whole thing about how he made everything else, this whole paragraph right here, for us to have dominion over. Okay? Does that make sense so far? All right. So far too often, Genesis 1 through 3 gets abandoned and turned into a historical debate. That is not the primary intent of Moses when he's writing this. You move to chapter 2. God rests and the scriptures talk about the scriptures talk about um, the creation of humanity specifically. And here's what verse seven says in chapter two. It says, "Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. The Adam, the first of creation, was breathed into and he became a living being." This isn't the same as this. This isn't the same as him speaking. This one specifically says that he breathed into him the breath of life. He takes dust, which elementally, uh, chemistry, if you look at the chemistry of the human body, the majority of our body is the same composition of what's in the dirt. Okay, So he takes the dust or the dirt from the ground. He breathes into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature is there anything else in the creation account that is is so specific it doesn't ever say that god breathed into anything else he spoke and there was light he spoke things into existence but here it says he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And then after that it says, and the man became a living creature. But the living creature is far beyond the fact that he has digits that actually work, that he has blood flowing from his heart. He's created him with a soul. He's made him very distinct. Okay? So you're tracking all that? Does that make sense? Okay. So so the words breath Wind and spirit are all the same in Hebrew. It's Ruach. Okay? And in Greek, they're all the same. Okay? It's the same way. Not that Hebrew and Greek are the same word, but I'm saying Ruach in Hebrew and Numas in Greek, the biblical languages of the Old and New Testament. And here God breathes life, the spirit of life into him. Meaning, humanity is distinct because humanity got the soul, the deepest part of who we are. And then he warns hey, there are a bunch of things that are super awesome that you get to do, and all of them are listed right here, and you get to do all these great things. But he does say in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17 hey, anything here except one thing. You can have it all except the tree of good and evil. You will die if you touch it. Now, who was God talking to in verse 17 of Genesis 2? Adam, right? Then in verse 18, so don't miss the context in verse 18. So in verse 17, he's talking specifically to Adam. And in verse 18, he says, it's not good for man to be alone. Okay, are you tracking what just happened? Ladies, you should be like, amen. This is the truest verse in the Bible. It's the truest verse in the Bible. It's not good for man to be alone. But it's right after God told Adam the truth. He tells him, you can have anything except that. And God knew good and well when He created man that this was going to happen. When He told him not to do something, He was going to do it. So God tells Adam this, right? And then you know what happens right after this. So he sees that it wasn't good for man to be alone. So he puts him to sleep and he takes his rib out, right? Which is kind of a strange story because it's like one rib made a woman. No, 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 no. Go back to this. This. Oh. Image of God. God. So what happens when he says he took from his rib is not that he took from his rib. He took from his side. He split him. Okay, if Adam is bearing the image of God here, and then God is like, okay, by the way, I want you to do this, but don't do this. And then right after it, he says, it's not good for man to be alone. And then he says, okay, I'm going to put him to sleep. I'm going to make a helper right for him. He puts him to sleep. And, and really the Hebrew illustration there is that he took from his side. So if Adam is bearing the image of God, and now all of a sudden he gets split to create Eve, what has happened? Okay, so image of God, image of God, okay, he took from his side, okay. What happened? The image of God got split in two male and female. Okay, so remember when I said, hey, don't let Genesis one through three be all primarily wrapped up in history, because if you do it that way, you're having problems with this whole discussion in Genesis two, because it's like, well, I thought it said he created woman in Genesis one in Genesis two. It's like he put him to sleep and then created woman. Which one happened? Not the point. Point. (laughs) So woman was created because it wasn't good for man to be alone. Newsflash this is before the fall. Ladies, if you ever had ammunition against masculinity, it's now. Prior to the fall, God saw that it was not good for man to be alone. And so he split his image into two. Okay? But what this means is there are some implications. God took from Adam's side, made Eve, who bears the image of God also. And maybe you're like, huh, the saying of opposites attract. As if there's something biblical to that phrase. So if the image of God has been split, right? Oh, by the way, context right after this is, uh, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, and he shall cling to his wife. Oh, what's he doing? He's putting it back together, okay? (laughs) And obviously you know the innuendo there. I don't need to talk about it right yet. (laughs) We'll we'll get there. (laughs) But the truth is, it's like you see that there's differences. Like, teenage boys are not knocking down doors to babysit, are they?
1: <laughs>
0: and if they were, we'd probably be doing background checks. <laughs> Why? Because we're scared. Boys, men, it doesn't matter what age we are, we're terrified of children. Okay? And so, women are very different than we are. Men are very different than women. Okay? And so, it's probably a good reason why moms are better at momming than we are. You know, it's pretty much like, okay, I'm going to give you grilled cheese, I'm going to give you a Capri Sun, and please don't burn down the house. That's dad parenting, okay? Right? Okay. See, this is why it's not good for a man to be alone. (laughs) So there's some distinction of how the, the image has gotten separated. So how do we put all this back together? So let's start with a ring. Let's start with that. Now a ring, my ring, my ring is that ring. Okay, and then my wife's rings are those rings there. Um, so so we, bought, we bought this. I have two sapphires, I've lost a sapphire and a diamond, but they replaced it. But I have two sapphires and a diamond, and I have a white gold ring that my wife bought me, kind of. I ended up paying for it, but I I don't hold that over her head. But it's a pretty cool ring. And then I bought my wife these rings. And okay, so, so she has a wedding band attached to her engagement ring. And then on top, she has another wedding band that's identical to the other one. But it's not to make them a cute little set like that. But actually, she was working as a registered nurse, and she couldn't have those two rings. So I made sure that she had a ring. And so while I was paying for that one, even though it was the one she bought me, I was paying for those two. But anyway, so the point was, is yes, we bought really nice rings before we had kids, and I'm glad we bought them before we had kids, because she wouldn't have nice rings anymore.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but my ring represents a promise, a commitment, and a covenant. And I live my life by these truths in our marriage. Now, you may be like, holy cow, are we talking marriage? Yes, we're talking marriage. Okay, so, so this guy right here, Here's your, here's your handout. And the nice little over
1: again. Get back there,
0: Thank you. All right. So looking at our marriage thing, I'm going to talk about this. So so if, 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 and if, but if being yes. If we have been separated, if the image of God has been separated in context in the same paragraph, in the same chapter, says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and he shall cling or hold fast to his wife. It's connecting the image of God. That's what it says when they become one flesh. He's putting the image back together. Um, so so here I'm going to talk about marriage. Now, this isn't a marriage course, Um, Although you would all benefit from it. I don't care if you're single or or married or whatever. It it doesn't matter. You would benefit from it. So I want to talk about that because we're talking about gospel relationships. And gospel relationships are really important when we look at this. And I'm looking at this and I'm like super sweet. So the PowerPoint got the right one. You guys missed like a little bit of the free chicken, but it's right here. Okay. So... (laughs) And I'll get to it. So so I want to talk about marriage and putting the image of God back together. So what is marriage? Marriage is about unity. Marriage is about what God saw when he saw it was not good for man to be alone. So his intent to reconcile humanity and his ability to be fruitful and multiply and do all these things and subdue and have dominion over all creation starts at this conversation of marriage he created Eve to be a helpmate to Adam. God's design. God establishes relationships through an obvious need for companionship. Woman Eve is created to be a suitable helper for Adam. Now here's where people get confused. Okay. So, so I'm a guy that Speaks really directly about things and so like the feminazi movement just absolutely loathes this part But i'm going to explain it to you that I can almost tame a hissing cobra with this Okay, because if you actually get this it makes perfect sense and apart from one person who is just hideously stupid um, They all accept this because it's really good. Okay, so so the two-way street was, is, but for Adam, there was not, um, there was not a helper fit for him. So the Lord God causes him to go to sleep, splits him in half. Here comes woman. Okay, so this is how it all starts, his intent. Now, God's image, man... Adam had been split into two. Now, woman shares the image of God. And so, this is what Paul says in complementing that whole idea, because he ends up quoting Genesis. Um, two at the end of this in Ephesians five, but this is what it says in Ephesians five twenty one through twenty eight. And I added twenty eight, but you don't have twenty eight on there, but it's okay. I'll add it and it'll make total sense, and you'll be like, Oh my goodness, this is total truth, because it is. So this is this is Ephesians 5, 21-28. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of his church, his body, and is himself... Is, Now, I'll get to that last verse here in a second. But look at those inflammatory comments. Wives submit to husbands. So, so the ultra-feminazi movement telling me to act like a man and try and fight tooth and nail for everything that a man does is a bad idea? Yes. It's a terrible idea. It's against how we were created. We share the image of God. We are distinct. But maybe there's a glimpse of part of the reason why our society is so bankrupt morally. We've lost our roles. Yeah, wives in the transaction are the ones given the specific statement to submit to husbands. Oh, by the way, um, if you got your Bibles out and you're looking at Ephesians 5, here's one of the things that gets me the twitch. But you guys are going to be like, oh my goodness, this is so awesome. Okay, so get ready. Get Ephesians 5 there. And then you're going to look, and you're going to look at Ephesians 5, and then you're going to be like, wives and husbands. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Right? Everybody's heard that one. Everybody's heard that verse. But when you look at it, like the majority of Bible makers segregate this passage right there on verse 22, where it says, wives, submit to your own husbands. But here I included verse 21, submitting to one another out of... Reverence for Christ. Why did I do that? Because when you look at the original language in the Greek, the Greek word for submit exists in verse 21. It doesn't exist in verse 22. It's assumed. Because it's assuming that you would be submitting to one another out of Christ. So it would be natural that you would be submitting wives to husbands. It's not anything that's different than coming from the previous verse, submitting to one another. Oh, by the way, the chapter, the title of the chapter is love one another or something like that. It's not really hard to get this, but that verse gets segregated and somebody, God bless our King James translators, decided to put that separator there and everybody's held the fort and it's wrong. Verse 21 has to be there. Okay? So submit means to put yourself under. Okay? That's what the Greek word means. Hypotuso. It means to put yourself under. Okay? So, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Okay, so... But, but do you notice that submit thing only becomes inflammatory when you don't read the rest of it? Uh, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. What does it mean, gave Himself up for her? Gave Himself up, dying on the cross. Yeah, He went up... He died. Okay, so newsflash. If anybody got the hard roll, it's the dude. Okay? <laughs> okay, so I, I know we got out of labor pains, but we'll get onto to that one later. But <laughs> and, and there's a reason why. The one, we just can't handle it. But anyway, um, but, but the thing is, is like if you look at that, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Submit. <laughs> Live your whole life completely devoted to this one thing. Don't sin at all and die for her. Submit. Die. Submit. Die. I think it's horrible to say that women should submit to husbands. I think it's terribly chauvinistic. Yeah, if the dude's not dying for his wife, then sure, I would agree. Mm-hmm. But there's an assumption there. And there's an assumption that submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, your relationship's based on that. Now, you who are single are going to be like, oh man, I totally feel like the third wheel right now because he's going into marriage. But it'll totally make sense at the end. But it only makes sense at the end. So you've got to stay with me until the absolute end. Okay? But it's a reason to stay along with it. But here's the deal. It's like God didn't make us in this relationship, didn't create us this way to be like, okay, so dudes are going to be caveman and woman's going to be doormat. That's not how it got created. Okay. And there was some really crappy theology in the 50s and 60s that said that. And I pastor a church over 100 years old. And when I started pointing out that the Greek word doesn't even exist, I got the Greek New Testament up on the projector, used my, it wasn't the green one, I had the, the red one. At the, and I pointed it up and I'm like, guys, especially you old ones drifting off into sleep, pay attention right here.
1: <laughs>
0: like here. Okay, so don't miss that. But you know God created woman because man needed help. Think of all the times you've talked us out of doing something that was really stupid. For example, I was at Lake McConaughey with my family. My wife was staying at home with one of our youngest kids. And, um, and we were out boating, and my uncle um, had been drinking And we were on the boat, and we were with some other family members. And we saw across the lake that a bunch of dudes had created a 40-foot slip and slide from the cliff (laughs) to the lake. And me and my uncle are like... That's so awesome. <laughs> I'm sober. He's not. So he gets an excuse. I don't. And, and I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. And then I got to thinking about his wife, how mad she would have been if he would have done that and gotten hurt. And then I'm thinking to myself, she's probably not the only wife. <laughs> so I call Steph and I said, Steph, hey, this is what's happening. It's so awesome. I send her a picture. I'm so excited. And she's like. Well, you can do it, but if you break anything, I'm going to kill you. (laughs) And then I look over there, and everybody else is drunk over there. So I'm like, they're probably not going to feel it till tomorrow. So maybe it's not such a good idea. (laughs) It's not good for man to be alone. Okay, but thank God I had my cell phone at the time. But all of a sudden, playing along with a bunch of crazy drunks down a huge slip and slide, thinking about the possibility of broken bones, I was like, yeah, it's not good for a man to be alone. <laughs> and this was said before the fall, not after. But the other part that people don't like about this is the submit. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. It's the ideal because it makes sense. Everything's built on that. If you look at the paradigm of Christ in the church, Christ is the one who chooses his bride. He's the one who pursues his bride. He's the one who lays the groundwork. The scriptures say he chose us first. He chose his bride. He chose to set out to do these things for his bride. And therefore, husbands, you have to be willing to do it that way. So if men lived like this with their marriages, women probably wouldn't be so opposed to submitting. Hmm. As if it's designed that way. Now, if you're submitting to one another, you're putting each other's needs in front of your own. And if your spouse is doing the same, then guess what? You're both getting your needs taken care of. That's weird how that works. Husbands. Men, stop being meat-eating, grunting men, cave-craving idiots. That's the perception this society makes of us. You are Jesus in the equation, and that's an honor, but it means you'd totally die for her, period. Period. And you should be willing to do that even literally because Ephesians 5 tells us that Christ's intent was to present her spotless and blameless, beautiful in her glory because she looked amazing in the wedding dress. You were huffing and puffing hard when you saw her. Totally worth it. But before moving on, let's hit verse 28 to show you how this works. Okay. What's that say? Top one. Sex isn't that hard, guys. (laughs) Scripture says he who loves his wife loves himself. Oh, so maybe this has to do with this. Oh, maybe. (laughs) Good golly, like everybody's like, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. That saying came from, he who loves his wife loves himself. That saying is, he who loves his wife loves himself. This ain't rocket science. And so the way we're physiologically put together, remember the image of God is split. Mothers are better at mothering. We're not competent at mothering. We don't like feelings. Feelings are the F word to men. (laughs) But somehow, in this cosmic sort of creation, complementary helper, God said, "Okay, I'm going to make woman more emotional. I'm going to make God more phys- or guys more physical." And here, this is the this is the cycle of sex. What's up there three times? Why do you think I put that up there one more time than I put physical? Just in case a dude read it and forgot one, it was there again. (laughs) Okay, it ain't rocket science. He who loves his wife loves himself. Okay? But you know, this ideal, this model, this way we're going, gets interrupted by that pesky snake. Marriage started before the fall. It was harmony. It was good. It was amazing. It was complimentary. My ring that I showed you earlier represents a promise, a commitment, and a covenant, and all of those things are lived out through the scriptures I shared. But that pesky Snake. Now, that's not a real snake. That's a yellow snake that was sitting on a bench yesterday that I took the picture of so I could put it on a slide. It's a rubber snake that we had to dig out of a bag that we were given to Goodwill. I hope it got put back in the bag. But anyway, it was my prop for it. There's a pesky snake in the garden. So here's your activity. Here's your breakout groups. Okay, look at this. Or you can look at it in your own Bibles. But Genesis 2, 16 and 17, and Genesis 3, 1 through 5. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to come up with the discrepancies that are said. Give me five things that stand out in these verses. So they could be discrepancy, who was telling what, who was talking to who. That's all good information. That would count as your five. So go ahead and do that. And he's back there, by the way, while you're reading. He's still back there. It's totally worth it. You want this one. All right, so five things. What do he come up with? Who's talking in the first one? Okay, Who's he talking to? Adam. Okay, in the second one, who's talking?
1: Me.
0: Who's he talking to? He.
1: Hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. It probably makes sense that verse 18 in Genesis 2 says, it's not good for man to be alone. <laughs> so, So, what's the discrepancy between the information here? God says he surely will die. Eve says, we may eat the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. He, she didn't say the tree of knowledge of good and evil. She may not even known what it was. Oh, oh boy, I could have built in a communication sermon into that one. <laughs> So so what's what's that pesky little snake doing? What's the first question he asks? You shall not eat of any tree in the garden?
1: He's manipulating.
0: Yeah. Yeah, regarding the character and goodness of God. Yeah, and, and we assume that Eve knew better. Don't we? I don't know. I would assume so, too. I mean, just basing what Paul says, he's kind of mean to Eve in and, and one of his writings. But the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So which part of this was true? Satan told him something that was true. Told him this. Your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. He doesn't say you'll be like God, like you'll live. He lies to him at the first. He'll say, you will surely not die. But he tells them that your eyes will be opened. That's what happened. Because what happens right after that, they figure out what? And then they go hide, right? Okay, so so they realize that they were naked. Then they heard God was coming, so they hid from him. Because now they're ashamed of who they are. That's what they tell God. Why were you hiding? I was naked. Who told you you were naked? And then God gets mad, right? Idiots. Just, just one thing I told the dude, and he can't do it. Just one thing. That's it. So, But the, here's the thing. Is don't, don't disconnect the theological conclusion there. That I don't think it's coincidental that our relationships often fail because of our own insecurities. And our own insecurities cause us to run away from God, not run to Him. Because they run away. Why? Because they found out they were naked. And nobody loves the way they look naked. No. Ain't no mirrors. Ain't no mirrors going to handle that. Okay? So there's some insecurities. And so we run away from God. Our relationships often fail because of our own insecurities. We we fear people because of our insecurities. And yet the only one that can fix it is the one we hide from. You ever felt like you've sinned so much you don't want to talk to God about it? It's like a daily basis to me, for me. They weren't going to instantly die. But in the garden, that pesky snake was right in the middle of the disruption. They weren't going to instantly die, but they were going to die now because God had to be the judge. But here's what the snake does, is he tells half-truths about things. It was partially correct that we wouldn't die, but he knew good and well we would die. Satan's jealousy for the limelight includes him hissing in your ears about who you aren't and about who you won't ever be. Yet it's God who rectified the issue through his son, Jesus. But don't miss the connection between half truths deception, and death. When God is not the source of the words, they will never have life. So the sneaky snake tries to bend the rules and reverse the course of creation by deceiving us in who we are. And naturally, conflict comes from this in our relationships. So let's talk about how we are created as image bearers to better understand each other and reduce conflict. Okay, I'm going to come back to that here in a second. Alright, I'm going to run through this quick. You can stack it on your fridge, but I'm going to run through this quick. Otherwise, we're going to be here forever because this sermon could be like eight hours and I'd enjoy it. Okay, so, so we're different. Has anybody ever figured out that male and female are different? <laughs> women have figured out men, but men have not figured out women. It's really an unfortunate cycle. <laughs> We're a little bit more simple. They're a little bit more complex. Women have larger connections and more frequent interactions between their brain's left and right hemispheres. (coughs) This accounts for women's ability to have better verbal skills, like communication, And intuition, like, oh my goodness, how did my baby across the house get into this room when the doors closed, the lights off, and you just sense that the baby's up to something. (laughs) Women have that intuition. A guy's scratching himself and going, I just want to go back to my sleep. (laughs) Men, on the other hand, have greater brain hemisphere separation which explains their skills for abstract reasoning and visual-spatial intelligence. What? What does that mean? Okay, so here's how it breaks down. Men see situations as a whole and think on a larger scale. Women are more articulate and look at the more fine details. That's why we don't decorate a house. We may look at the blueprints and be like, I want this, I want this, I want my man cave, I want this, I want this... But when it comes to the house actually being built, no, we're just like, okay, honey, whatever you want, whatever you want, whatever you want. Because women are more articulate and able to look at the fine details. Oh, I really didn't think that this wide open room with nothing in it was that bad. Now it's full of precious moments. (laughs) Men are more independent in ideas. Where we get the loner mentality. Women are much more likely to follow ideas if they're good from someone else. Men don't like to follow ideas unless they are theirs. Have you ever watched this phenomenon in practice? Oh, I'll convince him that it's his idea. And then it's like running with the wind. Dude's (laughs) going to get it done. Women are much more likely to follow ideas if they're good from someone else. Men value accomplishment in their work. And I'm going to get to that one because it's really important. Women value accomplishment in their relationships and their family. Men need less encouragement. Women need more. Hey, that's emotions. (laughs) Men typically find goals more important. Women find relationships more important. That's why stupid things on Facebook that get posted become a catastrophe in a woman's life. And we're like, "Uh." (laughs) Men enjoy solving problems. Women enjoy the process and the journey of completion. Holy smokes, this was the one I didn't realize until my wife was like, You really are stupid. She didn't say that, but I could see it in her (laughs) eyes. She, she, she visually assaulted me.
1: <laughs>
0: but women, women enjoy the process and the journey of completion which translates to honey I don't want you to fix that. I just want you to listen. And we're like okay <laughs> tell me more <laughs> It's, it's hard because we're so different. We're not the same. So like, this is a big one. I'm telling you what, like, this is the one, like dudes, if, if you want, you want to know something, like if you're like, holy cow, if I walk away from something, women, it, women enjoy the process and the journey of completion. Men enjoy solving problems. She comes to you with a problem. You're like, oh, this is what you need to do. <laughs> And then you're like, problem solved. Too easy. I'm going to go back to my roost. And she's like, no, I wanted you to listen. And like I did, I told you what was wrong. I told you how to fix it. Let's move on. Okay. By the way, this, this cycle that I'm talking about, um, I promise you we'll come back to this, this cycle. Okay. Don't forget this when we're talking about it. And if you forgot, I'll go back to it again. Okay? He who loves his wife loves himself. Okay? Be part of the journey, dudes. It's good for you. Women endure pain and monotonous work better than men. If you've ever wondered why a man never finishes a project, it's because he gets bored and wants to start a new one. (laughs) It's not that your mate or your friends are worthless. It's the way we've been created. It's like we have Project ADD. Okay? But women endure pain and monotonous work. Women are much more likely to serve at jobs much longer than men are. Hmm. It's weird. (laughs) Women endure pain and monotonous work better than men. Do you know how that is? It's because... The brain hemispheres communicate far more often than men. Men, like when we feel it, we feel it. But women are feeling like 48,000 things at once where we're just feeling something. (laughs) You know the phenomenon that... that You've seen the Facebook meme joking about the only thing um, that women's most painful thing going through child labor isn't as painful as a male having a common cold <laughs> you've seen this, this is actually why it's because our brain hemispheres don't connect as often, we don't handle pain as well as women, that's why you ended up getting babies, and we didn't because humanity would not exist anymore we would cease to exist we were like, oh gosh no, the epidural hurts, this hurts it all hurts, I'm done Okay, so men are more physical. Women are more emotional. Hmm. If you remember something from what I said, that's a good one. All of it's good, but that's a really good one. Okay, so we're different. We're created different. This is how the image of God got split. Both both Jesus and God in the Greek New Testament are given the masculine form. Okay, the Holy Spirit is given the feminine form. i don't think that's coincidental. Now, did pastor say that the Holy Spirit 's a woman? No <laughs> i 'm saying that the way the Greek grammar is broken down into it's feminine <clears throat> Which may stand the reason why in America, women are baptized at two times the rate men are. We don't connect with spirituality as well as women do. Hmm. As if we were created that way. Okay, so... So now that we talked about that, let's talk about conflict. I'm just going to give you a few things because you've got the handout. But I want to talk about conflict real quick. Because when we're talking about being made in the image of God and we're talking about gospel relationships, we're talking about dealing with conflict because people are full of conflict. So I want to ask you some questions. Conflict is typically time-oriented. If you're frustrated with work or school and you're having trouble dealing with it, do you think it's a good time to discuss your pet peeves or frustration with your spouse, your friends, or whatever over Facebook? There's another good place. So James one nineteen, somebody flip there and read that. And I'll tell you a story about James one nineteen and how I remember that verse. It was humiliating. Okay, Mike. Know this, my beloved brothers. So let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Okay, so Mike, Mike recruited me to Nebraska Christian College a long, long time ago, and I, and I ended up telling him no, even though I told him I was going to. But that's a whole other story. It is a good story, but anyway, it was the semester before I was at Ozark Christian College in Joplin, Missouri, and my dorm or my my RA. Um, that thought I was an idiot, which he had good reason to believe that I was an idiot because I, I, I fit the job description pretty well. And, uh, and anyway, he came up to me and he said, Zach, one of the things that you need to learn is James 119. Memorize it. Quick to hear, slow to speak. But that still burns. Mike Ackerman burns deep. He was right. So, when we're talking about conflict and we're talking about gospel relationships and we're talking about issues that we have with each other because we're human and we communicate differently, and whether it's our relationships, our marriages, our, our friendships, whatever it is, uh, this, you need to have a quick ear, slow to speak. Quick to listen is the first one quick to listen. That's the first one. And then slow to speak. The next verse says, For the anger of man does not fulfill the righteousness of God. Not coincidentally put there. Slow to speak, quick to listen, quick to listen, slow to speak. When we have conflict, it's good to slow down and listen. Okay? pastors one of the things that we have to do and we have to do to be successful otherwise we're not successful is sometimes we just have to let people vent to us and it may be the most ridiculous thing and our eyes are tweaking while we're listening to it because we know good and well the person's wrong but sometimes we got to eat it and sometimes they're right and we're wrong and then we got to eat that too okay conflict conflict is dealt with well by being quick to listen and slow to speak. Personal matters are personal matters. Relationships get destroyed when you have drama. And drama is the snake creating it. Creating relationship problems. Okay? Speaking of which, let's talk about that one again. Oh, no, no. I don't have it up there. Okay, this is what Genesis 3, 1 through 11 tells us. is God's speaking and he says, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I've commanded you not to eat? And the man said, Quick to listen, slow to speak. The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me She gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Who did Adam blame? He blamed two people. Well, one deity and one person. He blames God, and he blames woman. Now, who does Eve end up blaming? The serpent. Like, total butthole move. Like, won't even even own it. Won't even own it, blames her and God, which, by the way, when God's questioning you, blaming him is pretty much worthless because he already knows where it's going. So Adam tries to do this, and you know, guys don't like to take the blame. It'll be like, oh, it's somebody else's fault. It's an issue that happens in the garden. Eve ends up blaming the serpent. Sin always has a way of allowing us to rationalize disobedience in some really creative ways. Sin has a way of allowing us to rationalize disobedience in some really creative ways. However, God still knows we're naked and in need of redemption. Be carefully aware of what the serpent is telling you about whose fault your sin and disobedience is because it fractures relationships it fractures friendships it fractures faith and we're playing for keeps the pesky snake wants you to fail and fail hard so I have a video of when you're having a case of butt hurt or when you're being a crabby pie okay and you'll thank me later (laughs)
1: <laughs> uh, yes come in. i'm just,
0: just washing my hands i love this <laughs>
1: Did Janet carlisle referred me uh, <laughs> a, really yes yes that's me should i lay down oh no no we don't we don't do that anymore just just have tea and uh, let let me uh, tell you a, a bit about our uh, billing i um I charge five dollars for the for the first five minutes, and and then absolutely nothing after that. Uh, <laughs> five that sounds great. <laughs> Too good to be true, as a matter of fact. <laughs> well, I can I can almost guarantee you that our session won't last for the full five minutes. Now, um, uh. <laughs> we don't do any insurance billing, so you would either have to pay in, in cash or by check. Wow. Okay. And I I don't make change. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Go. Go. Well, tell me me about the problem that you wish to address. Oh, okay. Uh, Well, I have this fear of being buried alive in a box. just, I start thinking about being buried alive, and I begin to panic. Has, has, has anyone ever, ever tried to, to bury you alive in the rock? No. No, but truly thinking about it does make my life horrible. I'm thinking, thinking yes, with where I'm at, I'm mean, going to have the, the shovel an apart house house and conclude from there. Uh, because otherwise, what you're saying, is you're... Yes, that's it. All right, well, uh, let's go, Catherine. I'm, uh, I'm going to uh, say two words to you right now. I, I want you to listen to them very, very carefully. Then I want you to take them out of the office with you and incorporate them in, into your life. Shall I uh, write them down? Well, if, if it makes you comfortable, it's just two words. Most We find most people can uh, can't remember them. OK. you ready? Yes. Okay. You're you're there. Stop it! (laughs) Stop it! Stop it? it. Yes. S-T-O-P. New word. (laughs) I-T. So, what are you saying? I say and I can't tell you the amount of people who say exactly the same thing I mean, this you know, this is not Yiddish, Catherine. This is English. Word. Stop it! So, I shall just stop it. There you go. I mean, you, you, you you don't want to go through life being scared of being buried alive in a box, do you? I mean, that sounds frightening. Stop <laughs> Stop it! Stop it. Stop it. No, we, we 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 don't go there. Just just
0: stop. You <laughs> should just stop being afraid of being carried alive in a box. You good. It. Well it's only been it's only been three
1: minutes, so that will be uh, three uh, dollars. Actually I only have a five, so Well I don't I do change. <laughs> uh, I guess I'll take the full five minutes. Fine. All right. Well, <laughs> what other, other problems would you would you like to address? <sighs> uh, I'm bulimic. I stick my fingers down my throat. Stop <laughs> 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 it. of some kind? Don't, don't do that. But I, I'm compelled to. My mom used to call me. No, no no, no, no. We did. we don't go there. <laughs> but no, we don't go there either. But my horoscope did say. We definitely don't believe. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> what, what? What? else? Well, I have self-destructive relationships with men. Stop it. <laughs> you you want to be with a man, don't you? Mm-hmm. Yes. Stop it. Don't <laughs> no, be such a big baby. <laughs> I wash my hands a lot. Sorry. I I wash my hands all the time. There's a lot of germs on there. Yeah, don't don't, uh, don't worry about that. I'm Afraid to drive. Well, stop it! How how are you going to get around? Get in the car and drive, you you kook! Stop it! Stop it! You stop it! (sighs) What's what's the problem with that? I don't like this therapy at all. You're just telling me to stop it. And uh, you and you don't you don't like. Them? No, I don't. So do you think we're we're moving too fast? Is that it? Yes, yes, I do. All right then. Let me uh, let me uh, give you ten words that I I think will uh, clear everything up for you. Uh, you want you want to get a pad and a pencil for this one? <laughs>
0: you ever go into therapy don't do it like that <laughs> all right so let me tell you about the shovel I've told you about the <coughs> ring and that pesky snake and now I want to tell you about how a shovel defines a man when God created the earth and created man he gave him dominion or domain over the earth one of the things he told him was to work the ground and tend the ground but there's just one problem now the fall And that trick that the snake pulled had some consequences, and I'll share how they impacted everything. So this is what it says in Genesis 3, 14 through 19. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and above all the beasts of the field, and on your belly you shall go, and the dust you shall eat, and all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring, not sprint, and your Offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing, and pain you shall bring forth children. You shall desire to be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, which by the way, look at the biggest paragraph. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you, and pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life thorns and thistles it shall bring forth you for you and you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return so here's what happens is that he tells the snake he says because you've done this you're going to be cursed so he says that the snake's going to be cursed you're going to slither on your belly and you're going to be the lowest of all things the next thing that he says, is he says to woman, he says, you're going to be, your pain's going to be felt in childbearing. Any? That's what he says. So, and then to Adam, he says, because you've listened to the voice of your wife, he's not saying because you listen to your wife. That's a good idea. Bad idea was is that he didn't listen to God. That was the problem. So, anyway, he says, I commanded you this, and then he reiterates, by the way, you're an idiot. So he says, because of this, cursed is the ground because of you. What was he supposed to do? He was supposed to work the ground. So check this out the most painful thing to a man is to work all day and not get anything done. True? You break, you know the days where you break more things than you fix. And it's like, oh man, it's just about to get stupid, right? (laughs) Days that you work all day and get nothing done, that is the result of the fall. Our identity as males is wrapped up into our work. Women, it's wrapped up into their relationships. And it's true because you think about that, you think about it. it's not about pain in your childbearing. I know it's horrible. I know my wife almost made powder out of my hand bones when she was when especially this last one because she didn't even get an epidural. Tell my I'm like, I'm not telling them that. You only got like three minutes before the baby's out. Our last one came quick, but (laughs) I wasn't going to tell her that she wasn't getting an epidural. No way. (laughs) I get it. It's horrible pain. I got it. But the thing is, is that that's what happened in that. So women base their success in relationships a lot of the times, most of the time. Men base their success in their jobs. So guess what? If we have a really crappy job and we're tanking, it probably has to do with our identity because it's in work. This is exactly how this worked. Genesis 1 through 3 is actually a psychological masterpiece because it does explain a lot more than people are willing to give it credit for. But if you see your relationships matter and your work matters, there's some idea of understanding How we deal with the fall. How we deal with how God created us. But here's what I also want to talk about. I want to talk about the cost. Or really, fixing it. Men, God says to Adam, you'll work the ground and it will be hard. Okay? But here's what Satan loves to do. He loves it when work sucks for men and relationships are broken and tense for women. Because it means we're running from God and believing that he, we won't die from this. When God clearly states because of this, we, Adam, will return to dust. We'll die from this. But don't miss the spiritual and the psychological. It's real in our lives. Working for his glory. Our relationships and our work for, should be for God's glory. No sins or butts about it. There isn't even there isn't even a debatable theme. If if the result of the fall is cursing the ground because it's going to be harder for man to work, then somehow God knew that there was a spiritual correlation between work and men, and there's a spiritual correlation between women and their relationships. And the thing is, is if our relationships and our work is not about God's glory, we're wasting our time. We will never find fulfillment in our work and in our relationships if they're not for the glory of God. It's not up for debate. The scripture in Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Fulfillment won't be found in our work or our relationships unless our works for the glory of God. Now, here's what I do. I pastor a small church. I'm a hospital chaplain at St. Francis. It's new, and it probably won't last that long. I like it, though. Um, And then I'm a military chaplain, which I'm deploying to be the senior chaplain at Guantanamo Bay at the prison. And I am developing a course for Nebraska Methodist College. Okay? Okay. I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying that my work is about God's glory. I get to go to one of the most infamous places in the world. And I get to do ministry. I get to go and work for God. I get to pastor a church. I get to do these things, but it's not just about me. It's not about a ministry title. It's not about vocation of ministry. It's about our relationships and our work and how we glorify God. You can't mistake, you can't segregate all the truth that's in our in the creation with who we are in our relationships. And so what I wanted to share with you guys was really hitting on this. And you may be like, okay, so uh, I got the marriage part a little bit, but what about, you said that the single part was going to make sense at the end. Okay, sweet harmony. Here we are. We're at the finish line. Harmony. So. A ring, a snake, a shovel, and harmony. Our relationships. I'm going to ask the questions. These are the things that I want you to go out and really evaluate in your own lives. Are our relationships, are, our, are we setting, now that's not, it shouldn't be our, it should be our, are we setting godly principles and our goals for our relationships? I mean, honestly, are we setting godly principles and goals for our relationships? And if we have a godly relationship, are we setting out to mentor people? And if we're not in those relationships, are we seeking out people that are to mentor us? Are the marriages what God desires so that they can be examples to other, others? Oh, this, my punctuation is driving me crazy. Our marriage, marriage is what God desires. My wife and I took up a photography hobby, which I did it for a while. I photographed weddings. And one of the things when we photographed weddings, we were told very often was people were amazed at how well we work together. God's glory. She's a much better photographer. Than I am, and she doesn't know squat about photography. She's just better at it. But, but did you see the complementary point of that? Are our marriages what God desires? Are they examples? Marriage has to be the building block for society. The Wells mission is to be a family of disciples, right? A family. Marriage is where the family unit starts. It starts in the beginning. It ends that way. Genesis 18 through 22 talks about a marriage feast. Might be 18 or 19. But anyway, the end of the scriptures mirror the start of the scriptures, except everything's fixed. And in the midst of it, there is a great marriage. Marriage is important. Marriage has to be the building block for society. But to the singles, I would say stop worrying about being the third wheel. Okay? This is where you have the opportunity to set goals, expectations, all that stuff. Too many times people get into relationships just expecting something to happen. As if it's with no direction whatsoever. I'm thankful for the people that took us in. Um, Brian and Tara Young, which I don't know if any of you have met them, but Brian and Tara Young took us in and many other, gosh, we were a bunch of rowdies. But anyway, um, took a bunch of us in. And, and I'm so thankful that we had godly, a godly marriage and a godly family help shape us spiritually. It's huge. So if you're single, you should be seeking that. You should be seeking that mentorship. But Christian faith is not about a status whether you're married or not. It's about a community. But the reality about being single is is that sex is sacred and incredible, but it can only be both if you're married. can't be one. So what I want to challenge you with all this is I want you to, chal- I want to challenge you going back to the idea of rings. What is your covenant to God in the relationships that you have inside and outside the well? I want to challenge you about the pesky snake. It's not a fictit. I give you a rubber snake. Okay, that was a rubber snake. It wasn't real. But the serpent's real. The serpent deceives. The serpent seeks to steal and destroy. I mean, it's the thief, but it's all the same. Satan does that. There's a significant part of the book of Revelation dedicated to different manifestations of Satan. Okay, And it's all about deception. It's all to tell us that the things in the garden before the fall weren't true. But that's not how the story ends in faith. The story ends in faith being reunited with a king who is so bright and so perfect and so glorious that there's no need for a son anymore. The sun, like, you know, the thing that brightens the sky, not the sun like Christ. Okay, I didn't want to be a heretic right at the end of my sermon. <laughs> so you can't miss that, but you can't segregate who we are in our relationships without Genesis 1 through 3. You can't, you can't extract relationships without the truth of the creation you can't and quite frankly purpose can't be found without those things purpose can't be found without identifying yourself being created in the image of God and the implications of that and the implications of that are your relationships and your work and those have big implications I'll share this at the end I serve in the United States military and we have, been, we have been a rocky road right now as far as we have been a political experiment, a societal experiment, up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. And there's a big thing that like, oh, chaplains can't pray in Jesus' name and I heard this on Fox News, blah, blah, blah. Okay, here's the truth. What I realized, what I realized as an army chaplain was if I could pull my weight and I could soldier like everybody else, my commanders didn't care whether I prayed in Jesus' name. They were actually happy to hear it. I've read the scriptures. I've read from numbers in front of the governor, Governor Ricketts, in front of our two-star general instead of one-star generals, instead of in, in front of a bunch of people, in front of a thousand people that were seeing off their families to go. And I read from scripture. And I prayed in Jesus name and nobody had a problem with it because you know why they knew I was not there for me. If you get all this identity thing and relationships and gospel relationships and churches, you figure out that it's not about us as individuals. God's made us glorious in the image of God, but you can't segregate those things that he calls us to do. Okay. So I want to challenge you with these things. These are the things that I really want you to stick to what I've shared. Okay? So am I okay to close in prayer? Yes. Okay. All right. Father, I want to take the opportunity to thank you for being a good and merciful God. I thank you so much for the truth that's in the Scripture and, God, who you created us to be. God, remind us what it means to be made in the image of God. What it means to be broken. And God, what it means to be saved. God, may we have fellowship with you. May you be our primary and our utmost source of life. But God, may we take that life to other people. In our relationships, in our marriages, in our friendships, in our church, family. And God, may we go and reach the world with it. May we be people who are unashamed of the gospel because it's true. But God, in the midst of that, remind us that you've created us in your image and that you have things for us to do. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Thanks, Zach. I really appreciate you.